Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. How many of y'all love the Word of God? Amen. I said, how many of y'all love the Word of God? Anybody in the house love the Word of God? Okay, I'm glad. I want to read a, a passage of Scripture, and I want us to read it together. We haven't done this in a while. I want you to all stand up. I think sometimes it's important to change your posture before the Lord. And I think sometimes when you change your posture before the Lord when it comes to the Word, it helps you maybe engage with it a little bit more, a little more open to how the Lord would want to speak to you through it. I want us to read this Scripture together out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. We'll read it. I'll read it from the screens with you. On the count of three, let's read together. One, two, three. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that as the day approaches, we will be awake. We will be your children that live in the light. God, I pray that your spirit by your word will reveal any part of our heart that has not been exposed to light. God, help us to be sober-minded. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right, you can have a seat. You know, one of the challenges being a pastor in the day and age we're living in, and as I've communicated before, I believe that Christ's return will probably be in our lifetime. It is difficult sometimes to always feel like I'm bringing the balance of you being aware of the signs of the times. Uh, Really, all you have to do is turn on the news and daily it's like prophecy is being fulfilled. And, And here's the thing, that should be exciting for you as a believer. If there's any part in you, when I say that Christ's return is soon, if there is any fear that is in you, then the Lord wants to help deal with that even today. He wants you to have the confidence and the assuredness of his love for you, his acceptance for you, but your need of a savior. But as I talk about the end times, as I talk about just the different things that Jesus spoke about that we're now seeing playing out right before our eyes, I have to also continue to equip you for the day-to-day. 
But one of the things in that verse that I, I think we're seeing more and more is it talks about the birth pains, okay? So, and, and you're seeing this. I believe it's gonna be very much like contractions, okay? So there's gonna be this ramping up of intensity and we'll see that. I think we're coming off of a contraction right now, okay? But any of you ladies that ever had a baby, just because you're not in the middle of a contraction doesn't mean everything's fine. There's no pain, everything's great, this is awesome. All right, it's still tough. It's still hard. And as the day approaches, how many of y'all know when the baby gets ready to come, those contractions get more and more intense and they get closer and closer together. And I believe that we're gonna see that. But as we're seeing those things happen, how do we respond to day to day? Because the Bible says that as in the days of Lot or in the, as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah or as in the days of Noah, that people would go about living like normal life, buying and selling, all these types of things. Okay, so we're seeing that. We're seeing a country and a culture, quite honestly, that is morally depraved. But in the meantime, we're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be Christ followers. We're supposed to be people that are standing in the gaps and we're supposed to still go to work. We're supposed to still live and interact. And so in the middle of all that, I think one of the most common things that I see as birthing pains in almost any person's life, okay, is dealing with difficult people. Dealing with difficult people. I think that's one of the main birthing pains. And I think as the day approaches, it's only going to intensify. Why? Because the spirit that is in us is not known by the spirit of the world. So it'll be in direct contrast to each other. So I wanna to talk to you about dealing with difficult people today. And maybe it's good timing because you're coming off of Thanksgiving break. And so maybe you, uh, I don't know, there's a chance. Don't look at anybody but there's a chance you had to deal with difficult people. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe everything's great and you love everybody and all your family and all the extended family and everything. Praise God. So happy for you about all of that. But I want to equip you with how to deal with difficult people. In John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. I'm giving you a new commandment. Okay, this is Jesus speaking. I'm giving you a new command that you love one another just as I have loved you. How many of you are thankful for the love of Jesus in your life? Now, here's the thing. I think part of the issue is some of us don't know just how much he loves us. If we had a true understanding and grasp of just how much he loves us, this verse would hit even harder and deeper for us. Because what this is saying is just as he loved us, guess what? We gotta love other people. In the same way, and not the people like, oh yeah, I like them. Uh, they're easy to love. No, he says, everyone, love each other. So you are to love each other. So you too are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is huge, guys. What's the primary way that the world around us is gonna know that we're a Christian? I'm sorry, but it's not just posting scripture memory verses on Facebook. I'm sorry, it's certainly not judging people. It's certainly not trying to prove someone wrong. The primary way that people are gonna know we're Christ followers is just by living out love for people. And certainly living out love for the body of Christ. Okay, it is within that context, but it's not just the body of Christ. It's not just the way that disciples love other disciples. It's the way that we love people that aren't easy to love that the world will know we're believers. And guess what? It's gonna get more and more difficult, especially for those that don't know the Lord. It's gonna be harder and harder. Why? 
because there's gonna be a separating that happens. The world will continue to reject the things of God and the things of the Spirit of God more and more the more we embrace it. And I think we do need to be embracing it more and more as the day approaches. Okay, but it goes on to say, if you, love, if you have love and unselfish concern for one another, if you have love and unselfish concern, okay, so this can't be about me. It can't be about what's comfortable for me. Loving difficult people is one of the truest measures of understanding Christ's love. Nothing else will challenge whether or not you truly understand the love of Jesus than having to deal with a difficult person. And it doesn't matter what you do. Like me as a pastor, if you work in the medical field, if you're a doctor or nurse, a cook, stay home mom, stay home dad, student, whatever it is, carpenters, lawyers, builders, whatever it might be, we are all going to deal with difficult people. You will spend on average 25 years of your waking life working. And most all of us will work around or with people. Even if you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, you work with people. Love them so much. How many of y'all know kids can be difficult people? So this is your ministry. Your work, the work that God has given you and whoever that's with and however that plays out, that is your ministry. And God wants you to be effective with the ministry that he's given you. And you're not always gonna get to minister to easy people to minister to. In fact, a lot of times you're gonna minister to the opposite. That's why it's ministry. That's why it's hard. It's why it's difficult. Let me ask you this question. Does God set goals for you? Do you think that God has goals for you? I think so. I think that God has set very specific spiritual goals for every one of our lives and his word talks about it. Romans 8, 29 says this, from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him should be like his son. That is God's spiritual goal for your life, for you to become like Jesus. That's a pretty high bar. That's a pretty high bar. It goes on in Ephesians 4.13, we must become like a mature person. How many of y'all know sometimes it's difficult to stay mature around difficult people because they're not mature? Growing until we become like Christ. God's goal for my life is that I develop into the character of Christ. He is much more concerned about my character than he will ever be concerned about my comfort. And when we are challenged with difficult people, it challenges whether or not we're living out the fruit of the spirit. It challenges whether or not we have that intimate relationship with the spirit of Christ that's being demonstrated first and foremost through the fruit of his spirit. But I find that difficult people help us develop the fruit of the spirit almost more than anything else that we'll experience in life. What do I mean by that? You learn agape love by being around very unloving people. You understand how to love people unconditionally when you're around people that are incredibly mean, hateful, unkind, unloving. You will learn to develop joy by being around people that disappoint you constantly. 
because you'll understand that joy is not something that a person can take away. Joy is something that comes from the Lord. You'll learn to keep your peace by being around chaotic people where their whole life is chaotic because you'll learn that it's not based on situation and circumstance. It's a peace that transcends understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You will learn patience by dealing with difficult bosses and delays and frequent changes and slow people in the fast lane on the highway and new puppies. All these things will help you learn patience. You'll learn kindness. You'll learn kindness because you're gonna be around people with obvious emotional needs, AKA needy people, but they need someone to be kind to them. You'll learn faith by taking risk, by not always knowing how the outcome's gonna be, but stepping out and trusting the Lord that he's gonna use you and move through you. You'll learn goodness because you'll have to make moral decisions and you'll be tempted to compromise. You'll learn gentleness around harshness and abrasive people. You'll learn self-control around people that are out of control. Difficult people cultivate the fruit of the spirit almost more than anything else. Who are the difficult people in your life? Please don't look around or elbow anyone right now. I think there's different kinds of difficult people. A lot of times these people are around our place of work. So I'm gonna give you some classifications. You can write these down. They're probably not in your notes. Uh, the first classification of a difficult person is what I would refer to as the Sherman tank. And these are the people that just run over everything and everyone and blow everything up because they're not sensitive. And they're typically the people who say, sorry, it's just my personality. No, it's me and it's sin. There's also the megaphone. That's the person that just doesn't know when to be quiet. Just put everything on blast all the time, loud, obnoxious. Then there's the bubble buster. They're just the negative people. That can't be done, that won't work. The negative Nancys, the downer Douglases those types of people. The volcano. These are the people, there's always something that's like happening on the service. You better watch out because they will erupt all over you. They're gonna blow up at some point. The crybaby. They're always hurt. They're the people that kind of have a victim mentality. Everyone's always against them and it's always everyone else's fault. They have a very difficult time taking personal responsibility. So as you read through those, I think it's very important for us to be honest and say, hey, I've been one of those people before. I've been a portion of one of those people before. And if you don't think that you've ever been a portion of one of those people before, we're talking about you. Like you are the difficult person. <laughs> I had somebody ask me like what we were gonna be speaking, what I was gonna be speaking on today. And I told him what I was gonna be speaking on. He's like, oh, so you're gonna be talking about me. I'm like, no, this ain't aimed at you, but if you self-identify, then here's what I've noticed. What I've noticed is people that understand that they can be a difficult person, they're not really the difficult people. The difficult people are the people that don't know that they're a difficult person, and we really all just want them to understand just how difficult they are, and they wouldn't be as difficult anymore. Dealing with difficult people. Romans 12, 16 gives us some instruction. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So I think if you break this down, there's, there's really five words you can find in here that when applied will help us deal with difficult people. It says live in harmony, which means there has to be a level of cooperation on our part. Like, I, I, I just need to be able to cooperate. I don't have to, yeah, they're difficult, but I don't have to be constantly opposed to them. Do not be proud. We gotta be humble. We can't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It says be willing to associate. We gotta have some flexibility. Be careful to do what is right. Just be fair. Show fairness to people. And it says, if it is possible, if it is possible, which means sometimes you're gonna have to compromise. Now I know compromise can sound like a dirty word and I'm not talking about moral compromise. No, you don't compromise your morals. You don't compromise the word of God. But what I find is sometimes you're holding on to some principle in your life that has nothing to do with morals, has nothing to do with the word of God, has nothing to do with any eternal truth. You're just holding on to it because it's your opinion and you're not gonna budge no matter what. But when you hold on to those things like that, you're gonna have a difficult time being salt and light to the people around you. You gotta be willing to compromise sometimes. What I find is that God will sprinkle people around your life to grow you up. It's almost kind of like people become a heavenly sandpaper around you. But what I've also learned is I get to decide just how coarse that sandpaper is. In other words, a lot of times, the reason why there's so many difficult people around me is because God is trying to work on me and my character. And the more that I'm willing to apply verses like this, where I can walk in humility, where I can have cooperation, where I can have some flexibility, where I don't have to just on principle hold on to things and be just not willing to compromise on anything, that the more I do those things, the more God puts more difficult people around me. I find this really applies when it comes to spiritual leadership and bosses that I've had. Like the more I've been unwilling to just trust the Lord in the season he's placed me in and trust that he's put me around the people that I need in my life. What a different perspective. What if the perspective was, if I'm having to deal with a difficult person, God saw fit that I needed them to develop me and my character so that I could become more like Christ. Do you think Jesus was ever around difficult people? Like his disciples were real nincompoops. Like they were just difficult people. I think difficult people will help shape us. Matthew 24 says this, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And some of you think, oh, he's talking about my Thanksgiving break now. No, it's, it's a little bit different than that. It might've felt like that, but see to it that you are not alarmed. In other words, these things are happening and they're gonna continue to happen around us, but we shouldn't be freaking out. We should be aware that the word says that these things are gonna happen. Jesus told us these things are gonna happen, but we have to stay steadfast stable, consistent, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. 
family member against family member, employee against employee. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Again, that analogy, birth pains. We have four kids. Uh, all of them are, are biological kids. Okay, so Cody had four babies and um, she tried to go natural with one, the first one. The rest of them, we didn't try that. Now, look, whatever your birth plan is, it's your birth plan and you, you go girl, whatever that is, okay? And if you, mom's getting ready to be first time moms, I get it, we had a whole list of everything that we planned to, it all went out the window, but we you know, had all those great ideas and everything. But, but this is what we learned because we went in and Cody's like, you know, I just want to try to do this naturally. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in it with you, baby. <laughs> Let's do this. But here's the thing. She labored for almost 46 hours naturally. Until finally she was like, I think I might want some drugs. And I was like, you have heard from the Lord. <laughs> Amen. I'm telling you, with the, our other three, as soon as she walked in the hospital, she's like, slap me, big boy. Come on, give me your best shot. Let's do this thing. All right? And, uh, and again, if you don't, if you can do it naturally, go. Home birth, whatever, you know. Please don't post pictures of all that stuff. But, you know, you do you. But what I've discovered is God works in powerful and miraculous ways through doctors and good drugs. But what, what you learn about that is, is just because the epidural is there doesn't mean that it's not still difficult and it doesn't mean that the process stops. The process continues. But I believe what God does through his word and through his Holy Spirit is he gives us epidurals for difficult people. And sometimes you're still gonna have to walk through the process, but it doesn't have to be the most painful experience you've ever happened in your life. You can just know I'm going through this process. It is going to give birth to something good, but I don't have to be on edge all the time and anxious and fearful because God has given me some answers that when I apply it, it'll help me walk through this season of this difficult person. So I wanna give you some spiritual epidurals for difficult people. First of all, realize you can't please everybody. And I talked about being a people pleaser a couple weeks ago, so I'm not gonna belabor this point too much. But again, to Romans 12, 18, it says, as far as it depends on you. That is one of the most freeing statements in that whole verse. Because what it means is you're responsible to do everything that you can to be at peace with that person. It doesn't mean you're responsible for how they respond or react to your desire to be at peace. You will be at peace when you're obedient and doing whatever you can as far as it depends on you, regardless of whether or not they're ever at peace, regardless of whether they respond in a good way or a bad way, it doesn't matter. As far as it depends on you, you have to realize that there are some people you just can't please. And you know what? You shouldn't want to try to please everybody. Proverbs 29, 25, this is the Good News Translation. It says it this way. It is dangerous to be concerned with what others think about you. It's dangerous. What I've noticed in our culture, this is a major issue. A lot of people, a lot of us, 
we buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have to try to impress people that we don't even like. Because we're so wrapped up in people pleasing. We've all done this. We have bought something thinking maybe this will impress people. Maybe this will indicate that I have my whole life together by buying this. But in reality, all that's doing is perpetuating more chaos in our life. It's not gonna bring wholeness or peace by getting more of those things. It's only gonna put us in a position where we're building a kingdom here on earth and not building a kingdom that is eternal. That's what it winds up doing. And it doesn't give us any fulfillment. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't really make anybody like us more. Did you know even God can't please everybody? Even God can't please everybody. Let me prove it. How many of you want rain? How many of you want it to stay dry? How many of you want it to be cold? How many of you want it to be hot like hell? There you go. And you're gonna pray simultaneously. What's God supposed to do? Oh, 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 who do I... Who do I help? The person that understands you can just put more clothes on or the person that doesn't understand that you get arrested if you take too many clothes off. Like, like, who do I please? One person prays for the Razorbacks. Well, <laughs> it's always gonna be too soon, my friend. <laughs> One person prays, prays for LSU and we're all depressed. You just can't, God, even God can't please everybody. Uh, but he does have a will that is eternal, that's communicated, that doesn't change, and it's way bigger than football. It's way bigger than weather. It's way bigger than any of those things. It says in Luke 6, 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Wow. Why? Because if all men are speaking well of you, there's probably a good chance you had to compromise something that you shouldn't have in order to get all people. Maybe part of the reason why it says woe to you because the only time probably everybody's gonna speak well to you, of you is at your funeral. Also, refuse to retaliate. Refuse to retaliate. First Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. This is tough because when someone insults you, what's the natural reaction? Slam them back, baby. Like, I got one for you. You know, especially at social media. You know, keyboard warriors, man. It gets real easy. You're over there like, oh, 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 this is so good. I can't wait to send this. But it's a trap. It's a trap. What I've noticed is people with favor are not evil for, for evil payer backers. The people with the favor of God are not people that retaliate, even if they're justified to retaliate. God's sense of justice is completely different than ours. Our sense of justice is under the submission of the cross. 
We don't get to pick. We've laid down our rights when we took up our salvation. A mark of, a, of maturity is a controlled response. A controlled response. Proverbs 12, 16 says, Fuels, uh, fools quickly show that they are upset, but the wise ignore insults. What I've learned is this. It is almost impossible to offend a mature Christian. Immature Christians still get offended. And I think it's honestly just because they're still holding on to their life. They're holding on to their rights. And it's the process that the more you lay that down, the more freedom you have and the easier it is to deal with people that insult you. Also, refuse to argue. Refuse to argue. Some people just love to get in arguments. You know that? Like some people argue with a rock. Like they just find something. I mean, you can say, man, it's a nice day out there. Well, I mean, is it really a nice day though? Global warming, you know, climate change. It's a little too hot for this time of year, don't you think? No, I don't know if it's that nice of a day. Like it just doesn't matter. It's like, sorry. No, it's a horrible day. Oh, it's a horrible day, huh? Well, you can't be grateful? It's just like, no, I can't win. But there are people that are like that. You can't win. You can't win. Refuse to argue. You don't need to even get into it. The reason why people like to argue is because a lot of times they like to get attention and they like to feel like they can control you. Proverbs 26, 21 says, wood keeps a fire burning and troublemakers keep arguments alive. And I think some people, they just thrive on this. If you're an employer, by the way, you owe it to your employees to get rid of this kind of person. Get rid of them. Because one person can sabotage everything that's happening around them. Never let a gossip or someone that likes to argue destroy the morale of everyone else, even if that person that's doing it is a top performer. Get rid of them. Fire them. There's a biblical basis for it. Proverbs 22, 10 says, throw out the mocker and you will get rid of tension, fighting and quarrels. In Titus 3.10, if anyone is causing divisions among you, he should be given a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with him. Pretty strong. Number four, refuse to cave in. Refuse to cave in. By the way, Christians are not wimps. We shouldn't be wimps. Romans 12, two, it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. I love that translation. No one can pressure you without your permission. The pressure that is built into your internal accountability, your internal conviction established by the Holy Spirit and the standard of the word of God should be much, much more than the pressure that's out there that's trying to get you to cave in but you've got to strengthen it. You've got to build it up and you've got to stay strong in it. It's okay to be assertive if you know something is not right, to say something about it. Meekness is not weakness. In the word of God, it was never weakness. What it is, is it's strength under control and submitted to the spirit of God. A wild horse can be trained, but will still have just as much power but it is restrained for the master's use. And that's what we need to be. We need to be people that are confident, that understand who God's created us to be, 
have uncompromising morals, but be submitted to the master in how we use the assertiveness that he's given us. Refuse to cave in. There are two people in the Bible that are called meek, Jesus and Moses. Neither one of them were weak. So this week, if a coworker is asking you to do something that you know is unethical or immoral or illegal or just unreasonable, how are you gonna deal with that? How are you gonna deal with that? Because I promise you, it's gonna happen more and more. Anybody seeing morality slipping in corporations to appease the masses or even to appease a very small percentage of people where they will just, they'll throw all morals out the window? Okay, well, at one point or another, it could happen around the place that you work. What are you gonna do when that happens? It says in Matthew 5, 37, say only yes if you mean yes and no if you mean no. If you say more than yes or no, it is from the evil one. In other words, don't soften your convictions. You know what they are, you stand on them. Also, don't try to be the Holy Spirit for everybody else around you. Jesus didn't walk around just picking flowers and preaching peace and love. He did preach love but he had conviction and he never compromised the word of God for anything or anyone. Second Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. Refuse to cave. Also resolve conflicts quickly. Don't let it fester. Ephesians 4.26, if you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly. For when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. When Cody and I first got married, I would take this verse very literally. Like if we ever got in a fight, it's like 2 a.m. I'm like, we staying up all night. The Bible said not to let the sun set on your anger. The problem is, if you've ever seen my wife pass about 10 o'clock at night, it is one of the most entertaining things that you can see because the brain is working, but the words are not connecting. And so she, she just... She says really funny, cute things. I love you so much, baby. But you can imagine what happens when she's fighting and that's happening, right? So what we just learned is like, no, it doesn't mean stay up all night and fight the whole night. It just means, hey, we have to come to a place where we understand we're on the same team. We'll have to resolve this, but we're not gonna be able to resolve this with any kind of wisdom if we don't sleep. But more specifically, what this verse is saying is, if you become angry with someone and you never learn to have healthy conflict resolution. You never understand how to tell somebody when they upset you and made you angry and you just sit on it. This verse says eventually that'll cause you to sin. That'll cause you to sin. Should a Christian ever get angry? The answer is absolutely. Look, there are some things that are happening in our culture and around the world that should absolutely infuriate you as a believer. The murder of babies should absolutely infuriate you. Not towards the people that find themselves in those situations, but towards the enemy that he's lied and deceived people into thinking that that's okay. There should be some things that absolutely tick you off. Jesus got angry, but he didn't sin. He didn't sin. So there's 
clearly a right way and a wrong way to get angry. What's the wrong way? In your flesh or too slowly? What do I mean? When you just let anger build slowly over time, that's the wrong way to get angry. It'll put you in a compromising position. Anger that's not dealt with turns into resentment that turns into bitterness. Bitterness is always sin. Bitterness is always sin. Sometimes anger is the appropriate response, but you just have to deal with it quickly. And by deal with it quickly, I don't mean punch him in the face quickly. Like that, that's not what it's like, I, can, I will deal with this quick. I will slap the snot out of them. I'm like, I'm done, I'm good. Okay, see you later. Dealt with my anger. That's not what I'm saying. James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. In other words, the best thing to do is to avoid anger altogether if you can. But when anger does happen, there's a right and wrong way to deal with it. Number six, respond with love and forgiveness. We're gonna wrap this up. Respond with love and forgiveness and that's in spite of their attitude or their behavior. It's not conditioned upon that. I think there's two things, when you're dealing with difficult people, there's two things that God wants you to remember every time. You should write these down. First of all, God wants you to remember that God loves them as much as he loves you. No more, no less. God loves you just as much as he loves that difficult person. And God wants to teach you how to love the unlovely. Two things every time. I think God, Jesus gives us four actions in Matthew 5, 44. It says this, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Wow. Here's what I've learned. If you'll do the last thing that he said first, the rest of it will come automatically. In other words, if you will pray for those difficult people first. The reason why the rest will come naturally isn't necessarily that they're gonna change, but your heart's gonna change towards them. Because when you pray for people, it gets you closer to the spirit of God and you will begin to be able to see that person the way that Christ sees them, which means you'll be able to respond to them more closely to the way that Christ would respond to them. A mark of maturity is to not be led by your feelings. When you are filled with love, almost nothing irritates you. When you're filled with anger, almost everything irritates you. So what I have to do sometimes is when I know I'm getting ready to go deal with a difficult person, uh, I've got to pray. And I don't wait till I get in the battle. That's a bad idea for me. If I wait till I get in the battle, I'm gonna respond more than likely in my flesh. I've got to prepare my spirit because I want my spirit to be what they encounter first before they encounter my flesh. And the only way that I know to grow my spirit is I gotta pray, I gotta spend time with the Holy Spirit. I gotta spend time with him, which means I'll pray in the spirit. I'll pray in my heavenly language. I'll just pray in it for a while and just believe the Holy Spirit is strengthening me. I believe that I'm praying perfect prayers. That's what the word of God says you're doing. 
And then sometimes I gotta get in the word. I gotta get in the scriptures. I want you to think of that one person that you're having the most difficult time with right now. And I want you to ask yourself these two questions. What is your normal way of dealing with that person? Like to this point, what's been your, your normal mode of operation with that difficult person? And the second question is this, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? How's your heart? Have, they, have you seen any amount of positive change? Are you promoting peace or are you irritating it? The word says in Proverbs 16, seven, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Wow. So what I would encourage you to do is in, in, in addition to spending time with the Holy Spirit, spending time in prayer, maybe just go back and pray through these points. Whatever it might apply. But God, Father, help me to realize that I can't please everybody. I wanna please you and you most of all. Because if my ways are pleasing to you, Lord, then I can make even my enemies live at peace with me. God, help me not to retaliate. Help me to be unoffendable like Christ was unoffendable. God, help me not to argue or engage with that, but help me to trust you as my defender in my justice. God, help me to be strong and not to cave in. Help me to have strong convictions and to stand on the convictions of your word. God, help me to, to not grow angry. Help me to guard against bitterness. God, help me. Help me to see them the way that you see them so that I can love them the way that you love them, so that I can walk in forgiveness the way that you've forgiven me. Why? Why? Because those difficult people around us are not trials and tribulations. They're opportunities. And I think if God has placed you in a difficult person's life, if you're a believer, Maybe God put you there on purpose because you might be the only Jesus they ever get a chance to see. And maybe the way you respond to them can help them come to Jesus. Now, the truth of the matter is some of the most difficult people we'll ever work around are religious, legalistic Christians. That's a fact. But maybe it's just people that are away from the Lord, don't know the Lord, they're lost. Maybe they say they're believers, but there's no fruit. There's, there's no evidence. They're just difficult. This is what the word encourages us with in 2 Corinthians 5.18. But all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him. Don't lose sight of the fact you've been given grace so that you can give grace and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, not going bitter, not resentful, but concealing them. And he has committed us or to us the message of reconciliation. That is restoration to the favor with God. So we're ambassadors for Christ. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We, as Christ's representatives, plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's the reason why we have to deal with difficult people the right way because it can mean eternity. Because we represent Christ, we're ambassadors to the kingdom of God. It's a huge responsibility, a tremendous opportunity, and honestly, an awesome blessing. He's trusting us with him. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and when I read about being reconciled to Christ, that sounds foreign to you. And the fact is you may not feel connected with Christ at all. I wanna give you an opportunity right now to be reconciled to Christ, to have relationship with him. And maybe you feel like you have, maybe it was a long time ago, but the truth is in your spirit, you feel distant from the Lord. Well, maybe he's calling your name. If you're here today and you know you're away from the Lord, you're away from Christ, you need the reconciliation of the cross to be reconnected to your heavenly father, which means he, he actually created you from the very beginning to have relationship with you. And he's just been waiting for you to actually come back to where you've always belonged. And that's in relationship with him. The word says that the only way to have relationship with your creator is through his son, Jesus. Why? Because sin separates us from God. We of all sin, it separates us from God. And the only way that we can be reconnected to God is through a perfect sacrifice. Jesus paid that price so we could be reconciled to our heavenly father. And so if you're here today and you know that you're away from him and you need him, I'd love to pray with you and pray for you. If that is you, I'd love to give you a chance just to respond to him as, as an act of your free will, just to say, that's me and I admit it. I'm away from God and I need him. I'm ready to call on him as Lord and Savior. If that's you, nobody's looking around. We you put your hand right now across this room? As soon as we make eye contact, you can put your hand down. I just want you to know I see you and I'm praying with you right now. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm away from Jesus and I need him. Got it. Thank you so much. Anyone else? I'm away from Jesus. I got you, bro. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm tired of playing games. I want to be reconciled to my Heavenly Father. Anyone else? Okay, got it. Got it, thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Father God, thank you so much for meeting each one of those people right where they're at. And what I encourage you to do, if you're making this decision, the Lord is okay with you making a private and personal decision, but he, he never intended for your faith to be private. He intends for the faith of Christians to be very public because again, there's a world that needs to see his love through us. So I'd encourage you, a great way to go public with your faith is water baptism. I'd encourage you to tell somebody as soon as you can that you made a decision to follow Jesus. 
But I want to lead you in a prayer. Right there in your chair, you just say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive me. I believe that you rose from the grave. You didn't stay dead. And when you rose from the grave, that's what defeated death. That's what defeats sin so that I can live in freedom. And I believe that because you did that, I get to live a life that is full of purpose. I'm thankful that I have the hope of heaven. I'm thankful I get to spend eternity with you, but I, I wanna fulfill what you have for me here and now in my life. Help me to do that. Help me to grow in an understanding of your word. Help me to grow in relationship with your spirit so I can have strong convictions and full of your power and wisdom. Help me to be connected with other believers to believe what I believe so I can be encouraged and challenged and strengthened. I give my life to you. Be my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for every one of them that you would help us as a church to come alongside of them, to walk and become fully devoted followers of Christ, disciples for you. And God, I pray that every one of us as we experience the birth pains of life and how that manifests sometimes through people, through difficult people. Lord, we wanna be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ so that we can love those people in such a way that they draw closer to you and have a revelation of your love because it's only your love that changes people. It's only your presence that changes people. We want to be vessels and facilitators of your presence, Father God. Thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name.